Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. All right. So, um, yeah. So the reason, guys, too, why um, I have Braxton on, too, is because Braxton has a lot of he has a channel that's kind of similar to mine in the sense where he responds to a lot of atheist videos. And Braxton's like, I mean, probably the only YouTuber that I know that I can think of right now that responds, that stays on top of the atheist YouTubers and their videos and gives responses to them, too. So I know that a lot of you guys like when I do response videos. So so then make sure you sub to Braxton's channel because you'll enjoy that as well. Um, OK. Let's go ahead and get right into it. So you guys, um, Dan Barker had a video that's been going on on the internet for a while where he's talking at Oxford. I don't know what it is he's talking about. It looks like a banquet of some sort. And he's throwing out all these objections to, to Christianity and why he's not a Christian and stuff. And I think it was in, I think it's from a debate. Um, but anyway, so we're going to go ahead and go through some of that video. And then I haven't even finished watching the video. Like I only watched like a, a little bit of it, but we'll go through and then we'll just kind of give our thoughts and responses in real time. And and at the end, we'll go ahead and do a lot of uh, Q&A. So if you guys do send a super chat, I'll get to it at the end. I'm going to try to keep up on it on my phone and screenshot when the super chats come in. And then at the end, I'll just go through the pictures of them and then respond to them. So, all right, you guys ready? Braxton, what do we say? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. The reason I am a non-believer today is because of the lack of evidence and argument for a deity. If there were any real evidence for a god, then by now someone should have won the Nobel Prize for pointing that out. Any scientist in the world would jump at the chance to say, here we go. I mean, if there is a hitherto unknown force of the cosmos that we haven't yet been able to determine, what scientist in the world would not love to make that point? That hasn't been done yet. All we have are what we would call, and I think many believers call, God of the gap. The thunder and lightning was a gap that is now closed. The perhaps fine-tuning of the initial constants, perhaps the origin of the Big Bang. We do have some gaps in science. In fact, it is those gaps that drive science. Without those gaps, we wouldn't have scientific inquiry. All right. So, uh, first step, his basic argument is... Um, yeah, if we were, if there was any evidence for God, then we would be able to, um, somebody would have the Nobel Peace Prize for it. And I hear that, that claim a lot, right? Like Dan Barker is one of those guys that throws out cliches a lot, kind of like Arn Raw and all them. They just throw out these cliches that you hear over and over. Um, but yeah, so his first one is saying that basically, um, if there was any evidence for God, then, um, you know, somebody would win the Nobel Peace Prize. What's yeah. your first kind of thought on that? So first of all, yeah, there a lot of what you see here are like bumper sticker type atheist sort of statements. And I can't really hold that against Dan Barker because while they're not that difficult to dismiss, he came up with some of these. So you can't really blame the bumper sticker manufacturer for the fact that he's, you know, throwing out bumper stickers. But uh, but yeah, first of all, I think we need to point out the fact that he's saying who who would discover this, who would be excited about it? Oh, the scientists would. The scientists 
scientists would be thrilled about this because of course, if this thing were to be discovered, it would be scientists who were to discover it, you know, that God exists. And I think that it's really important to note here that science is really important. You know, Christians love science. Um, you know, Christians, the scientific revolution was basically because of Christians who knew that the universe was intelligible and expected that. And so they went into it looking for that. And um, that's not to say there wasn't scientific stuff before then. But the fact is, there are other realms of knowledge seeking besides science. Science is not the be all end all. There is science, there is philosophy, there is history, uh, there's even personal experience. All of these things are really important. But the fact is, what we see a lot of times in the Western world, and Christians even get this in their thinking sometimes times because we can't help but get kind of the dirt of our culture onto us is we take the value of science, which is a really good thing. It's science is wonderful. And then we extrapolate it out to where we have, you know, the, the lab coat clergy that decide truth for us. And why, why is it that we, that, that we don't believe in God yet? Oh, well, because science hasn't, hasn't revealed it to us. And the last thing I'll say on that before I kick it back over to you, John, is this is the fact is it's not that science doesn't have anything to say in that discussion, but natural science is not the avenue we would expect to take to demonstrate conclusively the existence of a god. Because natural science, that's a category error. Natural science deals with natural science, the physical universe. And while we see evidence, I think, of God in the physical universe through design, and we could talk more about that if we wanted to, so there's definitely something to be said there. But if you were going to have some a more clinching uh, demonstration of God, you would expect to find that somewhere else, like maybe philosophy, where we're thinking more about metaphysics and things like that. So I just think that's important to point out to people that when we when we look into these discussions, we don't need to be so, you know, uh, have tunnel vision about science, because if we're going to be free thinkers here, let's be free thinkers. Let's not confine ourselves to science. Let's be free thinkers and explore all the ways that we can bring in knowledge. And as I listed, there's philosophy, history, experience, science, there's all kinds of things, and we shouldn't shut those off. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. And that's the thing, too. If you notice, kind of my first thought was when I heard that his first assumption there where he's like, well, if there was evidence, then the scientists would be winning a Nobel Peace Prize. So a lot of atheists do this. And this is what's particularly annoying to, to people who are kind of somewhat educated on these things. When atheists say there's not um, evidence for God's existence, like they're usually saying there's not scientific evidence. Right. Like like he's like sitting on top of a mountain waiting to be discovered, waiting for us to walk up there, you know, or um, like he's, you know, like another star in the sky we're supposed to be discovering, you know. Um, but the thing is, too, is like they act as if scientific evidence is the only kind of evidence, you know, where there's only one kind of evidence and it has to be um, empirical scientific evidence. The truth is there's, that's not the case at all. There's plenty of different kinds of evidences. And I've talked about this in a couple of videos. Um, um, there's something if you just type in evidence, what do you mean, or something like that, they'll come up. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of different types of evidence. There's historical evidence, even evidence for like murders and trials, you know, a lot of this kind of stuff, not all of it's always empirical. There's different kinds of evidence for different kinds of situations. And so when atheists try to narrow it down to just one type of evidence and then say, well, there's no evidence for God's existence, all they're doing at that point is just really kind of like, you know, talking, talking to themselves or talking to a uh, a tree in a desert or, or cactus in a desert or something, because that's not what we believe. You see what I mean? And yeah. so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, I think uh, what, you know, so even in my debate with Matt Dillahunty, I said, so uh, are you saying that it's only science that you're going to accept a science of it? No, he's like, no, I'm not saying that. But I said, but you're looking for something kind of sciencey, right? And he was like, right. 
And so the, the reality is they, you know, I think what this boils down to, and there's the tendency to want to psychologize people. So I try to resist that because I can't really know what's going on in someone else's head or why they think the way they do. But it seems like when they build their epistemology, their way of thinking and taking in evidence to make conclusions, a lot of times what, the, what this empiricism, what this science maybe like a borderline scientism, if not a full-blown scientism that says science is the best way or the only way to get to absolute truth or truth claims or something like that. Um, when, when you do that sort of thing, I think it, what you're looking for is a really high bar for in order for you to believe something, almost like absolute certainty. And I'll admit that a lot of Christian apologists in the past have given the impression that we have, because often we're tempted, I've done it before, to overstate our case. And so we give this impression that we can, like, we can prove it, man. We can give you absolute certainty. That's not really what we're trying to do. We're just trying to show that, hey, look, man, that there's good reason to believe this, such that the best explanation for X, Y, and Z is God or is Christianity. But I think the, the love for the scientific method is because it gives you something that is close to, like, a kind of visual certainty that, and, and yet, if you can't meet that bar, that high bar, then we don't have to believe what you're saying. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And just so we're clear too, a lot of people kind of confuse when Christians use science for the arguments. Um, um, a lot of people confuse, they think that the argument is in the science. That's not true. The argument's usually um, used as support for a premise in a philosophical argument. And so that's where the, conf the confusion kind of gets into from our end, I think, communicating to um, the non-believers or whoever we're trying to convince. They think it's completely based on the science and the science is used to justify a premise. So like in the Kalam cosmological argument, first premise is everything that begins to exist as a cause. Second premise is that the universe began to exist. And then the conclusions, therefore, the universe had a cause. And the science there, um, like the Big Bang cosmology and these arguments around that, we are using the science are usually used to reinforce the second premise or to add more evidence to the second premise. So the argument is not a scientific argument, um, but the science is there to use to support the philosophical argument. So, all right, let's um, keep going. Uh, go to the next clip. All right. Hypothesis would be taken. Do scientists gather together every Sunday morning in their scientific sanctuaries and bow their heads and sing, yes, the Higgs boson is real. <laughs> I know in my heart the Higgs boson is real. I will have faith, I will be strong to this secular world who challenges my belief that the God particle is real. Amen. <laughs> if, if they did such a thing, you would think they were pretty insecure on the concept, wouldn't you? And that's what we find with faith, a constant puffing yourself up, be strong, resist the world, believe in these absurdities in spite of the doubts. All right, so there his argument was kind of like, uh, Christians and religious people must be insecure because they're trying to convince themselves by saying these songs and all this, you know, like, hey, you know, believe in, you know, and all that. So what do you, what do you, what are your kind of first thoughts on that, Braxton? So first of all, I want to point out that even if he's right, which I think we're going to say some things about that, but, but even if he was right, does that speak to the truth of Christianity or whether God exists? 
No, it does not. It just tells us how people act in particular social and religious situations. It doesn't tell us anything about the truth of proposition. Um, secondly, I want to point out that, and you see this all the time, is what we see so often, um, and, and not so much among like the high academic atheist types like Graham Oppie, who Cameron Bertuzzi often has on his channel, but but among uh, you know the, the internet atheist types, many of whom are my friends and are really clear thinkers. I'm not saying anything like that. But the point I want to make is so much of what we hear is rhetoric and is just mockery. And there's, I'm not saying there's not anything wrong with mockery. Mockery can be persuasive, but when it's mere mockery with, without substance behind it, um, that's a problem, but that's so much of what we get. And the thing is, it is still powerful and persuasive. And I have people saying in my chat all the time, like the thing that really was causing me to doubt when I was really doubting was just the mockery. It wasn't really the intellectual stuff. So I think that's important to point out because this is rhetoric, but, the, but the, do you have anything to say about that before I go on? Um, no, no, you go ahead. Okay. I, I have another point to make, but I'll wait for you to make your point. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think the important piece here is, okay, it's a funny point. I'll give him that. This guy's funny. I think he'd be funny to hang out with and, and joke around with. So, uh, so props there, but the thing about it is he is saying something true. Scientists don't, you know, think about certain things that they've concluded about the nature of the universe. Like, Oh, the Higgs boson is real praise the Higgs boson. We believe in you. I will believe that's right. That's true. And Christians do do that with God. The question is, why is that? Now, let me go ahead and be completely fair here. There probably are some Christians who do do that as a way of kind of self-affirmation, you know, kind of build up their own faith. There's probably something to that. I'm not going to deny that. But that's not really the principal reason for praise and worship like that with those terms. The reason for it is because it's not, it's not because we're having trouble believing in God and we're trying to affirm ourselves. It's because that may not be the way you talk about the Higgs boson, but it is the way you talk to persons and God is a person. So think about the love songs. I'm not going to say what it was, but I actually am a somewhat proficient guitar player. And I played a song and sang to my wife before I proposed to her. And, uh, and, and, and when I did the song had things in it, like, I believe in you. I believe in our love. I have faith in you. I have faith in our love. It okay, was Nickelback, well, what, wasn't it? Was it? It Nickelback? was not Nickelback. It, it, was, was, Creed. it was before. This was before <laughs> Nickelback. It wasn't before Creed, but it wasn't Creed. Although <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I didn't have Creed uh, in the late '90s. I did have. Some <laughs> I never had Nickelback. Uh, but anyway, uh, so it had the same sort of concepts there. I love you. I believe in you. I have faith in you. Um, does that mean I, I was having trouble or insecurity about believing that my wife was real? Of course not. That's absurd. It's just that what I'm saying is I have faith. I believe that on the basis of the good evidence I have from you, that you're going to be faithful and trustworthy to me, that you will do in the future what you're saying you will do in the future on the basis of what I have good reason to believe you've done in the past. And this yeah. gets to the point that Barker um, messes up before this clip that you played where he says he's talking about faith and he uses this colloquial definition of faith, that faith is basically like believing what you know ain't so kind of thing, you know, believing it's just believing without evidence. But biblical faith, and and that's the only kind of that matters. You know, you hear uh, Aaron Raw and other people say, well, you know, when I talk to Christians, they use that kind of definition of it's believing what you know ain't so, or it's believing without evidence. Well, we're talking about the Bible, and if you're not talking about the Bible, then don't use the Bible when we're talking about these things. What the Bible means is something more akin to trust or confidence. And so, just like with my wife, 
I have trust, I have faith that God will do for me in the future what he said he will do based on what I have good reason to believe he's done in the past. So bottom line, you're right. We don't talk about the Higgs boson that way or gravity that way or anything like that. We talk to persons that way. And so it makes me wonder, does Dan Barker not say these kind of things to his wife? I mean, come on, Dan, get a little more romance about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my guess is he's probably not the Romeo, but well, I don't know. Uh, but anyways, a uh, couple of points. That was the point I actually was thinking too. Is like when um, people write these love songs and stuff like that to their their uh, you know to whatever you know when we listen to love songs, sing them to people or whatever. Does that mean if you're insecure and you're trying to convince yourself that your relationship is secure? No, you know what I mean. You're just kind of like praising the relationship in that sense or whatever, and appreciative for them who they are, that sort of thing. And so that's part of like the Christian culture that um, I'm assuming that. Um, you know, he doesn't understand because I see similarities of this with like black culture and white culture. There's they're talking about different things because they come from different perspectives a lot. And that leads to bad communication. And I think that's kind of what's going on here. Um, but to the point about Aaron Ra, by the way, just on a quick side note, he um, going back to the last point we we talked about, he says that he's like, well, there's no evidence for God's existence. Nobody can give me evidence for God's existence. And then he he'll admit later, he'll be like, well, when I say evidence, I'm only talking about scientific evidence. Well, like, see, so this is how they use that rhetoric though right like even though it's it's not true there's no evidence for god's existence he's going to have a secret definition saying it's only scientific evidence that only him knows so that way he can use it as a rhetorical to or only him is you know what i mean i'm assuming he's just assuming that in order to make a rhetorical point and then that way to convince people there's no evidence for god's existence you know what i mean and and also john we're going to see in just a few minutes i think evidence that dan barker doesn't even rely on science to draw conclusions um, only science. And so, uh, I think you make a really important point. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, and that's the case. Um, I'm tempted to go into talking about, um, um, anyways, we won't, we won't get into that. I was going to say the Dillahunty when you had your debate with them, but we'll talk about that another time. All right. Um, so let's go ahead and go to the next clip. You ready? Here we go. The, uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the absolute worst example anyone could possibly give for the reliability of the Bible. And I'm not exaggerating. Let me tell you why I'm not exaggerating. Many stories in the Bible are given once or twice. The resurrection story is given five times. You can compare them. Scholars have never been able to reconcile those contradictory accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. All right. So just yeah. to kind of reiterate his point, he's saying um, basically the, the resurrection is mentioned five times in the Bible and they're, you're unable to reconcile them. And so that's why it's the worst possible evidence for Christianity. Lots of things wrong with that statement. Um, go ahead and start and I'll fill in whatever you you'll got. clean up whatever I mess up. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, there is a really brash claim here. The claim is that scholars have never been able to sort these things out. Now, it depends on a couple of things. It depends on what you mean by scholars, and it depends on what you mean by, you know, fitting them together or making these things work out. So I can think about right now. So first of all, Norman Geisler, who is no longer with us last year, passed away, um, famous Christian apologist. And Norman Geisler has a book, I forget the name of it, but it's a book that, um, 
you know, does what's called harmonization and harmonizes all these things. And so there's at least one example. But right now, as we're speaking, there's actually a couple of really important uh, voices out there on this issue. So on the one hand, you've got guys like Mike Lycona, Craig Keener, and people like that who uh, would point out the genre differences. So the important thing to mention here is what Dan Barker means is he means that he's looking at uh, stuff in, in these gospel accounts and he's trying to see using 21st century lenses, looking at it the way we do history today, and he can't see how they fit together. But the important question is, look, how did people back then write history and what were their conventions? And did they write history the same way we do? So when you look at that, we find that the vast majority, or the, I won't say the vast majority, the majority of scholars today believe that the Gospels were written either in Greco-Roman biography, which is a particular type of genre, or in something that has great affinities with Greco-Roman biography. And there, there are literary devices and conventions that can be done. And when you plug those in, guess what? Most of these things evaporate. They're not contradictions. They're not difficulties anymore. Now, that you say, well, then are you telling me that this isn't history? No, I'm telling you it's history. It's just that first century people living in Israel didn't necessarily write history the way we write history in 21st century Western world. And that's an important thing if you want to get to what the Bible is actually saying. But yeah, secondly, and, go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah. And hold that thought because, yeah, just to kind of um, piggyback off of that, the kind of point here too is that um, most of the times I'm, I'm thinking, like, what, what contradictions are you referring to? Because they usually say, well, in one gospel, there was only one angel at the, at the tomb, and the other one, there's two. But that's not a contradiction, right? Um, in my mind, I'm like, that's not a contradiction. A contradiction would be if it said there was only one gospel there. So it's like, for example, like in, even in this conversation, if people were like, yeah, John was on the live stream last night, some other, someone else says, yeah, John and Braxton were on the live stream last night. Is that a contradiction? No. You know what I mean? Because they both can be true. And so that that's what I think is a problem with a lot of this stuff is that they just assume they have some sort of assumptions going on and what God's word should be like that they're kind of imposing onto God's word. Um, so even, even that aside, so without even getting into literary genres and stuff like that too, um, I don't think that, you know what I mean, whatever he's referring to, I'm assuming he's referring to probably those, that, those kind of cliches that people kind of Well, and that's an important point you bring up, John, because that's exactly where I was going next. I think that, and even like right now, Lydia McGrew is a voice that's speaking on these issues and she is not um, as, as uh, crazy about the literary genre type approach or she would say the genre is important, but the, the conventions, the literary devices. She points out this other issue, which is um, the harmonizations that I mentioned that Norman Geisler uh, was famous for doing. And, and he, the one you just mentioned, where there are two angels, uh, one says there's angels at the tomb, one says there was an angel at the tomb, and both are true, right? That's not a contradiction. She, she does these harmonizations. Now, even in Christian circles today, it's almost become like a joke to talk about harmonizing biblical texts. But that's absurd. If they are in harmony, then to talk about harmonizing them makes total sense. And so I think that, so Lydia, would, Lydia McGrew would say there are occasionally literary conventions, just not to the degree that some scholars think. And then you have the scholars that are heavy on the literary conventions. They would say, well, there are harmonizations, just not to the extent that you know someone like Lydia might think. But what I think is important for anyone to know, wherever you fall on that, is there are literary conventions and there are harmonizations. And when you plug those in, these things just aren't a problem. So this claim that scholars have never been able to say anything about this or, or resolve these, I think is just surprising. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to kind of go back to his first point, remember he said um, that this is why 
the evidence for the resurrection is the worst argument you can give. And that's just a horrible, horrible assumption. If, if we make an argument for the resurrection, even if there are, just say that these contradictions are like, you know, pretty damning or something where one says only one angel was there, only two angels were there. Does that mean that the resurrection didn't happen? I mean, here's the thing I think about for a lot of atheists, because it seems like a lot of time they're, they're not satisfied no matter what. These are the type of atheists that I call atheists. Atheists have a problem um, with stuff like this because they'll say, well, there's a contradiction in the gospel. Therefore, the Bible can't be true. But imagine oh. if there was no perceived contradictions. Then they say, well, it's obviously contrived. All these people <laughs> writing these stories, you know what I mean? They're like, they're all writing these stories and no one's contradicting each other. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Right. There's so many things like that. I've been kind of like keeping a document um, in my mind for a lot of these things because they're consistent. And you guys will see in a lot of my skits and stuff, I'll try to bring these things out because atheists consistently use contradictory arguments all over the place. And that's what makes it appear to us who are not atheists that you're just looking for any reason to try to um, you know, um, reject the conclusion of Christianity. That's how it comes across. Whether it's not or not, that's that only you know that, you know, but that's how it comes across. So yeah. And John, I, I don't want to belabor the point, but this could be the most important point in the video because we're talking about the resurrection here. And so what you just said is so powerful because let's just say there were, I don't believe there are, but let's just say there were serious contradictions in the gospel narratives about the life of Jesus. Still, anyone writing, you know, I work at a seminary here. We, we have people work on dissertations. Anyone doing this knows that you want to get to the earliest sources you have for whatever you're writing about or studying. And the earliest sources we have on the life of Jesus and the growth of the early church are the New Testament documents. And so that's just where you would want to go. And, and, and here's the thing. Here's what the scholars agree about. I checked about this before one of my previous debates, and I got confirmation on it. Here are some things. Here's my, you know, everybody has their minimal facts, things that the scholars agree about. Here's the ones that I like to use. Number one, and this is the one that I think a lot of people miss that really sets it off, especially if you want there to be some kind of predictive quality here, is scholars almost universally agree that Jesus thought of himself during his earthly life. He thought of himself as God's special eschatological agent, which means God's agent to bring about the kingdom on earth. As if Jesus was walking around holding up a sign during his life saying, just watch my life and see what happens. So then whenever he dies, he dies by, here's another thing that's agreed. He died by Roman crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. His earliest, the earliest followers of Jesus had experiences that at least they interpreted as appearances of the risen Christ. And then they were willing at least to face persecution as a result of it. Those are facts that even if there are contradictions in the narrative, the, the universally the scholars agree on those things and you can build a powerful case for the resurrection just off of those. And I think John I can't blame the atheist entirely for this. I think preachers like me, and I don't know that I've ever said this, but I wouldn't be surprised to find out that I said it in my early days as a pastor or a youth pastor, have said things like, this is the word of God, and if one phrase in it is wrong, then it's all wrong. That doesn't even follow logically. What do you mean? You know, there are, what do you mean? Come on. There are, there are history books that have inaccuracies and math books that have inaccuracies, but most of what's in there is still true, right? But that's not me conceding these errors. I'm just saying it doesn't follow logically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and keep it moving so we make sure we get through the, the video before we start taking questions. Um, guys, too, if you guys have questions, objections, anything like that, put them down below, tag me. Um, not guarantee that I'll see him, but tag at what do you mean so that we all know. And uh, let's keep it moving. Ready? How do you connect the dots? 
we suffer also from a coherent definition of a God. We have a proposition, this house believes in God. What is that word? What does that word God mean? There are many, and I don't have time to go into much detail, but there are many incompatible properties that many theists assign to this deity, much like saying uh, this deity is a married bachelor. Can a married bachelor exist? Logically, it cannot. And there are mutually incompatible prop, uh, characteristics of this deity that many theists have put forward that make it a married bachelor. For example. All right. We go ahead and stop there. Um, yeah, so his basic argument there is like, we don't really know what we're talking about when we say God, because there's these incompatible attributes. And I'm assuming, I mean, I haven't watched this video, like I said, but I'm assuming that um, he's probably just talking about like, can God create a stone so heavy that he can't lift it? Or some of these kind of omni paradoxes. Is that where he goes? If Because I know he, you has, probably... he has a favorite one that has to do with free will. And I think that's really okay. fun to talk about. But I think you're right. Two things here, John. First of all, just a moment ago, we were hearing all about science would discover this and science has it. Okay. Notice here, he's relying on philosophy and logic to point out that um, there, you can't have something like a married bachelor. Why do we know you can't have square circles and married bachelors? Is it because we built a spaceship and went all over the universe to make sure there weren't any? No, that's not what happened. We figured that out because it doesn't work logically, right? So right there, we see that Dan Barker and uh, is using information or knowledge um, intake other than just from science. So I think that's an important thing to point out. But secondly, if you well, ever actually to, to, yeah, to clarify ahead. your, or just to make your point a little bit more clear, he's actually using that as evidence, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the point. He's using it as evidence for his claim when he says these things like that. So, so therefore really it's a good point. Yeah, exactly. yeah, really good so point. Then, yep. Okay, go ahead. So, so then uh, the other thing is when you hear atheists, sometimes atheists will try to get out of needing to present an argument in favor of the idea that God does not exist by saying, well, you can't expect me to do that because you can't prove a negative. Um, what Dan Barker is pointing out here is sure you can. You can, in some cases, prove a negative, prove that something does not exist. And the way you would do that is to show that there's something incoherent in the concept. What I thought was fascinating is in that David Woods debate with Michael Shermer, Michael Shermer said that. He said, you can't expect me to prove a negative. And then later he went on to bring an argument, a logical argument from evil, which is an incoherence argument to, to prove a negative, to try and show a negative. So this is an important thing to keep in mind. Um, this comes in a family of atheist arguments called incoherence arguments that usually take one of the omni attributes of God and try to show that there's something incoherent about it. And it always relies on a misunderstanding of classical theism on these things. So, um, yeah, I mean, we could talk more about that, yeah. but, but I think those are just some things to point no, out. That's fine. I did a old video on this called, um, um, proven a negative in my sleep or something like that. <laughs> Where uh, was I, I was just like talking about all these ways that you can prove negatives. Because a common atheist myth that always says like, oh, well, I can't take the position that God doesn't exist because you can't prove a negative. Both those are false. Like, of course, you guys know it was the classical kind of understanding of atheism was the, the belief that the proposition God does not exist is a true proposition. But now atheists just say, well, we only lack a belief because you can't prove a negative, right? Um, the problem there is you can absolutely prove negatives. That's exactly what people are trying to do when they um, mention like the problem of evil, saying an all-loving and all-powerful um, 
um, God can't exist, you know, because, you know, um, because he would either stop the evil, you know, or blah, blah, you know, if you um, hear, but basically, um, you, you can prove a negative through the concepts, right? So this is what these omni paradoxes try to do. They try to say, well, can God create a stone that's so heavy he can't lift it? Well, if he can't, that's something he can't do. But if he can create it and he can't lift it, then that's something he can't do as well. So therefore, God can't exist. And all that is, is just really a, a play on words. It's, um, um, C.S. Lewis even talked about that. He's like, nonsense is nonsense, even if you're talking about God. You know, yeah. so it's really yeah. Just those are God can do anything. It's just that contradictory things aren't things, right? Exactly. So, yeah. so that's not. And it's like the uh, can Homer Simpson thing. Can God make a burrito so hot he can't even eat it? What <laughs> what we've always meant by om, omnipotence is God's able to do anything, but contradictory things aren't things. That's right. That's right. It's just really just a string of words, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. What they're talking about. And so, um, but anyways, yeah. So, so those are ways that you can prove a negative and you can disprove God's existence. You see, so um, if he didn't so, exist, which is to say that Christianity or at least God's existence there is falsifiable. Now you may so, not know what that means, but a lot of times atheists will say, you know, you know, in order for us to talk about something, it has to be falsifiable, which means there's a way you could prove it wrong if it was wrong. And we're saying, here's a way, show a contradiction in how we define God. Yep, absolutely. Um, Rambrandt says, nobody says that nonsense, John. Oh my goodness, uh, I beg to differ. You can look at comments on my videos, even that, um, that video where I talked about that, um, you can see that too. There are atheists that say that, absolutely. I'd say, I'd say that that's, there's more atheists that talk that way than atheists that don't. That's what I'd say. So um, anyways, all right, let's go ahead and uh, get to the next clip. And we'll keep it moving. God is supposedly an omniscient being who has free will. But if you know the future, you can't have free will. I'm not talking about human free will, and that's a big debate whether we have it or not. Even atheists agree among, disagree among themselves. But God, presumably, this being is a personal being with free will, who knows his own future decisions. In order to have free will, whatever that means, there has to be a period of indeterminacy during which you truly do have options. I could choose coffee or tea. I could choose this or that. But if you know your future options, you have no choice. You have no freedom. You are not a free uh, personal agency. So if your definition of God is that God is omniscient and free, he cannot exist. He's a married bachelor. I know theologians try to tinker with definitions. Uh, by the way, if God cannot change what he knows he's going to do tomorrow at 12 noon, that also puts some limits on his omnipotence, doesn't it? Okay, so this is a common kind of misconception from a lot of atheists, right? Um, which I hear too. They say, well, God knows everything, or not even just atheists. I guess it's kind of like a common misunderstanding period. Say, so if God knows everything, then there is no such thing as free will. Um, right, because if he knows I'm going to do this tomorrow, then all of a sudden I don't have free will. I have to do it because he knows it. Now that doesn't make sense in my mind. It doesn't follow logically. It's like saying, um, "It's gonna. Uh, I know it's gonna rain tomorrow." Um, you know what I mean? Therefore, it, it, in other words, it's as if the knowledge makes the something happen. That's what he seems to be um, assuming. There is that knowing something means that it will happen. Instead of just knowing something, right? If I know my son is going to uh, walk into the kitchen to go get, you know, uh, a snack or whatever, because he does it every day. Does that mean that I'm, my knowledge causes him to do it? 
Of course not, you know, but that's the assumption that he has there. So when he talks about that, it's incoherent to believe in a God with these, these attributes. Um, essentially, that's what he's trying to do is trying to prove that God doesn't exist because of these attributes. Um, but I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. It, uh, I agree. Just, I, I just don't understand it, um, but it's common. Go ahead. I agree. I think you're pointing out that there's a categorical error here. Now, this is becoming a theme in this video with categorical errors, just like with um, praising the Higgs boson versus praising, uh, you know, uh, or, or believing and talking, having emotionally charged things about persons. Uh, we have a categorical error here. Knowledge, as you just said, doesn't make things happen. And what we're really saying in philosophical language is knowledge isn't causal. My knowing that something is going to happen doesn't cause anything. It just means I know it's going to happen. And so God, so let's take it with creatures first, with us as human beings. Uh, God knows what we will do, but he knows what we will freely do. So if we freely choose to do something other than we were going to do, well, it just turns out to be that's what God knew was going to happen. So God knows what we God knows in eternity what we will freely do in time. That's how it is. So someone says, well, are you saying then that Peter couldn't have denied Christ um, after Christ said that he would? You know, he, it was, you know, he was you're saying that he could have rather that he could have denied, not denied Christ. And then Jesus would have been wrong. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if Peter had decided not to deny Christ, then God would have known that in eternity. And Jesus wouldn't have said that. So that's, that's kind of how that works. Now to steel man Barker here, he actually says, I'm not talking about human beings. People can debate about that. I'm talking about with God himself. If God knows what God's going to do with certainty and can't be wrong, how does God have free will? Now, this is a little bit nuanced here. And what I'd say about this is it's still true that knowledge isn't causal, even for God. God knows what God will freely do. And the fact that God knows what God will freely do, I mean, it's kind of like you talking about your kid. Yeah, but what if you told me, uh, Braxton, tomorrow I'm going to go to Starbucks? Okay, you know what you will freely do. It doesn't mean you're still not free. It's just you know what you're freely going to do. So on the face of it, this just isn't a thing. But let's just say, let's just say that God doesn't have free will the way that typically people think about it, where he has the ability to choose among a variety of options. Because some people like William Lane Craig in the past have said things like, look, God, you know, has a nature that is maximally good. So he's always going to do the maximally good thing. And it's almost like he then only ever has one choice. Um, I don't buy that because you would have to demonstrate to me that there's not more than one, at least in one case, more than one equally good choice. There might be. And in such a case, God would have what we call the, the philosophical term for this is the principle of alternative possibilities. He can choose between options. But here's the, here's the last thing I want to say about this, John, or maybe the second to last thing, <laughs> is uh -huh. that it, it, even if God didn't have free will in the sense that he really could choose among various options, which I think he does, but even if he didn't have that, he would still have free will in the source sense, meaning that nothing external to God is determining what God will do. If God's, you know, sans creation exists, is, is all that exists, and he exists spacelessly and timelessly, there's nothing else acting on God to make him do whatever he does. So even if he only ever does has one course of actions he's going to take, He's still free in the sense that nothing outside of God is determining what God will do. So all of that is, I think, really important. But here's the last thing. What if we gave Dan everything Dan wants? What if we said, you know what? 
God's not free. God must always only do the maximally great thing. And so God really can't choose. Okay. I don't believe that. But if I did believe that, does that mean Christianity is false? No, it just means that we had a wrong conception of what the will of God was like. And, and that means we can. I was just going to say, and it doesn't pose a uh, contradiction within the con- right. the philosophical concepts that we're attributing to God anyway. So it wouldn't mean that God doesn't exist because there is no contradiction with that. God could exist and he could not have free will, even though that seems false for number of reasons like yeah you know him creating the universe and so but but yeah if that's the case then it doesn't disprove god at all so it means we can say so what and if you yeah. can say so what to an argument and it doesn't have any teeth it wasn't a very good argument that's right 100 percent. all right um let's go ahead and let me see how many uh, more clips we have kind of listed here all right let's go to the next clip and then we'll um yeah we'll touch back here we go <laughs> another, another lack that uh, takes against the evidence for existence of a God is the lack of agreement among believers. If there is a deity that you love and care about, why do no two believers agree on any social or moral issue? You name it. Gay marriage, doctor-assisted suicide, stem cell research, uh, death, uh, the war, you name these social issues we're struggling with. You find devout, praying, Bible-believing Christians on both sides of those issues. Paul wrote in the Bible, God is not the author of confusion. But can you think of a single book that's caused more confusion than that Bible? They don't agree. Why why not? Why shouldn't it be clear? Why shouldn't this all-loving, all-caring deity make it clear to us? It is not. They have fought fought with each other over these issues. Okay. Yeah. So his basic point here to reiterate is um, if... Yeah, first he said this is an argument against, I thought he said the existence of God, but say he's talking about Christianity here. So if Christianity were true, then there would be universal agreement among Christians. Now, this is actually a, a, a really popular, I think, objection for um, a lot of, non, not the philosophical crowd as much, but more of kind of like the, you know, I want to say the practical crowd. It's not bad. It's just practical, you know. That's a good way to say it. I like that. Yeah, yeah practical because, crowd. Yeah, yeah, you know, your average Joe, you know, because, and I think for some reason, it seems to hit in, um, your intuitions. And I think it's weird because I think about what else in life um, do we think that there needs to be universal? Everybody has to see it the exact same way, right? It's, things just don't function that way in life. So why do we think that we'd have to see the same thing when it comes to God, just because God created it? You know what I mean? Um, and it says God's not the author of confusion, what he said. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think what's if you even actually believe the Bible and take it seriously, you know that we're all sinners, right? And if we're all sinners, we're going to naturally try to read our own um, preferences into the scriptures. You know what I mean? Because everybody wants the Bible to support them and their beliefs, right? That's that's part of being a, uh, a sinner, I think. You know what I mean? Because we all have these kind of motives and stuff like that, even if we're not conscious of it. But um, I still don't think that that's a problem um, for the Bible and stuff like that. Um, because if that's the case, this is just part of being in a fallen world. And on top of it too, I don't think that these um, differences a lot of the time are all that significant, um, you know? So um, those are just a quick of my, a few of my quick thoughts on that. Uh, Braxton, what are some yeah. of your- 
Yeah. So I was going to actually write a couple of things down. So yeah, first of all, yeah, we're, we're, because we're sinners, because we live in a world where we sin. And even if you're a person, an atheist out there who like really rejects the idea of original sin and that whole thing, we all, each one of us do our own a fair amount of sinning. And even if you don't like the term sin, we do our fair amount of bad stuff, right? So um, because of that, we are susceptible to wanting to read our own ideas or read things the way we want them to be. And, um, and so as, as a result of that, what, what are we really talking about here? Oh, guess what, Dan, we're talking about free will. We're talking about because we have free will, we mess things up. What would it mean for God to make sure that we all get the exact same message from any kind of text? He would have to remove our free will and determine us to all think exactly the same way. So I and think that's, even, go ahead. I was just going to say, not even just any kind of text, right? Anything, period, right? Can you imagine anything where everybody was assault the exact same way that would remove that subjective observation part anyway so i try to think about like what's the argument here if i had to put it in a syllogism what does the argument look like it's like people have disagreements about the bible or people see the bible differently um and if god exists then people would all see it the same therefore god doesn't exist right or if i was not true i mean it's like no i think you're doing a good exercise here let's say it like this because because he's really trying to also get at what God would do if God exists. So let's say if the Christian God exists, he would ensure that everyone believes the same thing. Not everyone believes the same thing. So the Christian God does not exist or something like that. But notice what's going on there with premise one of this argument that Dan didn't realize he was making. What, what What's going on there is um, he's doing what, what has been called in the past divine psychology. He's trying to know the mind of God. So get this. This is powerful to me. What Dan is doing, and atheists do this quite often, is he's saying, I know the mind of the God that I don't believe exists so well that I know what he would do if he did exist, but he doesn't. If that doesn't make any sense to you, I understand why. So, I mean, <laughs> where's what the sense in that? Yeah. It's you know? weird because I've always wrestled with this where I try to understand because usually I get when people say stuff, I don't understand where this assumption comes in that everybody would interpret it the exact same way. You know, and, but let's just say that that happened. If that was the case, then would Dan or all these other atheists accept that Christianity is true or this is evidence for Christianity? I doubt it because my, my, what I, for me, debating atheists and stuff for years and talking about atheists all the time, I'm going to assume that they're going to say, oh, see, this is what sheep do. Sheep do, can't think independently. And therefore it's false because you guys are just believing what you were told, you know? And so that's why it's like, I would love to know this criteria that people have, you know what I mean? For like, what would make them actually believe that's not just special pleading or ad hoc, you know, because a lot of times, um, you know, humans are really good at just trying to find ways. I mean, this obviously includes Christians, find ways to kind of uh, reverse engineer and try to like, you know, uh, remove this cognitive dissonance and stuff like that and trying to find ways to piece stuff together. It's not always bad, but I'm just saying like, when you're using it as an argument, like how down was, I, I don't think that's a very, very strong argument. Yeah. So, so real quick on this, John, like, all we have to do is think of one as a philosophical defeater to this. Think of one possible reason God might have for allowing us to, to have these differences. I think the, the good of us being able to make free choices is good. But here's another one. Maybe it's that God kind of doesn't mind. Now, obviously, there's been wars and there's been atrocities and things like that. But I think that's the result of sin and, and the sinfulness of man. But here's, here's the thing. Maybe God does. Maybe God. Uh, 
appreciates and sees as a good thing that we struggle to get to the truth of an issue and argue it out and reason and worship God with our mind in, in that respect. I think a lot of atheists think if I ever became a Christian, well, they say it, they'll say, well, science would end, cosmology would end, all these things would end. Why? You would have all those things, but you would also have this rich theological history of debate and discussion that has gone on in the church for 2000 years. So I think there's maybe something good and that we can appreciate about having some difference in the chat right now. There there's friends of mine, Jonathan Pritchett, um, Cy Gart is in here, Dr. Gart, uh, Chris date. I differ with each one of those guys, but you know what? We love each other. We're friends. None of us are waging a crusade against each other. You know what I mean? I, I think God appreciates that reasoning things out. Yeah. And that's one thing that I've come to kind of know and learn to love in my own life too, is that like wrestling with a lot of these different like theological concepts and stuff has really richened not only like my relationship with God, but also how I think, you know what I mean? Understanding and learning God better. And also like really develops that kind of emotional, uh, more connection with God. Um, You know, the fellowship aspect is what I'm I'm getting at. Yeah. Amen because you're wrestling with it and then you start seeing the richness of God and the richness of his word and stuff like that. And that's beautiful, you know, and also too, a possibility is like kind of like legalism too, you know, if everything is extremely clear on every single point, um, perhaps I'm not saying this is the case, but perhaps it will lead to like, you know, a lot of legalism and have the reverse effect, um, which is, seems very plausible to me, you know, um, cause people always, um, Christian or not, you know, people will use things to try to look down on other people so they can feel better about themselves. Yeah. And that's what's good about the gospel is that it does remove that ability because we're not saved by what we know, what we do, you know, so it pulls that away. So that way you shouldn't feel better um, than anybody else for being saved because you didn't do anything. Jesus did it all. So, yeah. And, and, and we would be remiss if we didn't say this, John, what every Christian that is an Orthodox Christian throughout Christian history has believed is this much, and this much is very clear, I think, is that God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead. And if God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead, Christianity is true. It's not that there aren't other important doctrinal things. There certainly are. Jonathan often puts it this way. I don't know where he got it, but my co-host on Trinity Radio, he says, look, you got you got one church, two testaments, three creeds, four councils, and the first five centuries of the church. That's you know, those are the things that, that matter. Most of what matters to us the most is there. And then there are doctrinal issues that we talk about. But what is clear and what Christians have always believed, God exists, God raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus is the Son of God. These things are clear enough. And the other things, yeah, we can we can have a conversation. Absolutely. Because, I mean, after you got that right, God exists, Jesus, um, or, um, Jesus was raised from the dead um, for, to give us eternal life. After you, yeah, 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 that's the important stuff, uh, the most important stuff by far, right? You know, because then you know how to get salvation, you know, um, but through who and how it was done, you know what I mean? Outside of that, all this other stuff is a lot more secondary, you know. And I think a lot of this stuff, like, um, you know, when it comes to these things like, um, um, divine providence and stuff like that, you know, where. Um, you have like some of like Romans nine and stuff that um, on, on surface seems to support like a Calvinistic doctrine and stuff like that. Yeah, like, yeah. like knowing that kind of stuff, um, that's a bigger deal to us than it was for God to want us to know, obviously, you know what I mean? Because there wasn't, there's not too much on that, like on the free will in that aspect um, when it comes to the providence. But um, those are things that we like to talk about too. But the sure. dangerous part comes where we elevate you know, these things as to say, oh, this is, uh, you know, as big of a truth as like, you know, accepting 
uh, you know, accepting Christ for your sins or believing. I hate when people, and I hate when people do that. I hate when, when people make issues like that, a test of faith, Yeah, you know, there's guys who they specialize in talking about a certain issue and that's fine. But, but when people divide the fellowship over secondary issues like this, it really irritates me. But, and even on Christianity though, that makes sense, right? Because this, I believe is our sin nature. So that way we can feel better about ourselves, whether we know it or not, you know, or don't have to be conscious of it, feel better about ourselves. And then we can look down on people and say, look, these are the bad ones. We're the good ones. You know what I mean? True yeah. Christians believe and think and act or whatever, just like how I do. And if they don't, they're not Christians. That's part of the sin nature of that. And Jesus was hard on that kind of stuff there in the first centuries with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And you know what I mean? So you guys know how the story goes. But anyways, that's, uh, yeah, anyways. So Preach it, John. Ahead. Yeah, let's go ahead. We got, um. so there's two more closer. Let's just go ahead and do one more and then we'll okay. go to Q&A. Cool? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Here we go. all-caring God. And then, of course, the problem of evil. And um, our previous speaker uh, pointed out that that is probably the Achilles heel in theology. All you have to do is walk into any children's hospital, and you know there's no God, at least no good God. Maybe there's an evil God. Those children are dying at the same random rate, even though their parents are desperately praying, desperately loving those kids, wanting some kind of divine intervention, and yet, as Ann Gaylor says, who's the, pres- the former president of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, nothing fails like prayer. All right, so this one we've all heard, right? Um, <laughs> nothing fails like prayer and then kids with cancer. Um, and so I actually did a video on the kids with cancer one um, a while back and then cosmic skeptics. Oh, take it away then, man. Take yeah. it away. Well, I, I mean, there's not a, it, without getting into too much, cause I don't want to get too deep into it. So watch the video and then you can watch my responses to cosmic when he responded to it, the cosmic skeptic. Um, but I mean, so there's a couple things here, right? So one, he says, nothing fails like prayer, um, which is a common thing that atheists seem to believe that there's only one type of prayer and it's to say, give me, give me, give me God. Right. And there's only one point to prayer. God saying, yes, I'll give it to you. You know what I mean? And that's like as deep as it gets for a lot of these, a lot of these atheist types, you know what I mean? And um, the obvious problem there is that like, I mean, Braxton, when you pray, like when I pray, um, I'm not just saying like, give me, give me, give me, give me. And then, you know, I mean, that's the only reason I pray is just when I want something. And then, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, if God doesn't answer it, then I'm just like, oh, okay, he must not exist. Because I kind of think about from a personal aspect, like, that's not why I'm a Christian, right? And that's not why I pray too, you know, pray restores like your fellowship with God on um, that sort of thing that um, keeps your, it keeps your mind focused too on the gospel and, and all those sorts of things too. Um, what are your kind of quick thoughts on the prayer part? And then we'll get back to the, the so on the, so on the prayer part, there actually are other studies on prayer than the ones that get, they usually trot out these studies that show that they are supposed to show that prayer doesn't work. There actually are more than one study and there are problems with the studies that are supposed to show that prayer doesn't work. But here's the thing that atheists typically don't seem to realize. And that is that the Bible gives its own caveats for prayer. We have two or three episodes on this that people can check out, but you know, one of the, one of the caveats is you're supposed to pray in Jesus name, which doesn't mean that Jesus is like, 
you know, a chant that you put at the end of a prayer that makes it work. The thing is, you're supposed to be praying in line with what Jesus would want. And of course, in First John, we actually learn that you're supposed to pray according to God's will, what God would want for you. You're not supposed to be praying just for selfish gain. These are all caveats. And these prayer studies that are supposed to show that prayer doesn't work, don't take these things into account. Secondly, prayer is a relational thing where I found that um, even with the, the kind of prayer that we, and you made a good point that it's not always just about asking for stuff. But even with the asking for stuff, you know, my kids ask me for like a hundred things a day. Most of the things my kids ask me for, I don't give them. They would have to conclude that I don't exist, but it's because I know better than my kids know. So I don't give my kids everything they ask me for. And in the same way, God knows far better than we're like ants crawling on a computer screen, trying to figure out how hard drives work. And God, God knows better than we are. We do what prayers should be answered with a yes. Um, lastly, this is kind of like a long-term sort of thing. The longer you're a Christian, I mean, this is something that I don't think an atheist can have access to until they spend about, you know, 20 years, you know, in the faith, you look back on your Christian life and what you realize is there, this is happening enough and specifically enough. And, and, and at certain points in my life that I can clearly see the pattern. Now I know the response there would be, well, yeah, of course, because you could find that pattern no matter what happened, but I don't think that's right. I think you have to live this and you'll see it. And in one of our videos on this issue, we shared a bunch of highly specific prayers that were prayed that were answered. Uh, one that I'm going to get wrong, but Lycona, Mike Lycona shares, um, and we play the clip is uh, some guy and his wife, and, and he, they're newly married, and he wants to go to seminary, but he needs like, I don't know what it is. Let's say it's $2,572.37. But he had some savings bonds from his grandmother that he found that she had died and found it in the attic. They were left to him, and they had matured, and it came out to like exactly the penny what he needed. Um, and you say, well, it's chance. Well, okay, but the probabilities are getting pretty crazy there. And when you see this stuff happen again and again and again and again, um, I'm sorry, I just don't buy it. I've been a Christian long enough and seen it happen enough that I see why it could look anecdotal to you. But this is one of those things that we're not throwing out as an evidence. We're saying you're challenging on this basis, but if you get inside of Christianity and live the Christian life, you'll see it happen enough times that it'll be hard to hold that premise, I think. Well, here's the thing. Like you, you said, I think you said first, John, you mean John, I think we're just talking about the conditions for prayer, you know, maybe I don't know. God's will. No. Okay. That's fine. Um, we're just making sure we're talking about the same text, but um, in um, John, where he gives the conditions of like, you know, it has to be in the father's will because this is the sort of thing too. Um, okay. Think about it like this. If you give a five-year-old everything they want, they'll be dead in a week. Right. Because right. <laughs> like they're going to eat everything they want. They're going to, you know what I mean? Do all these yeah. different things. You know what I mean? Get a car, you know what I mean? Do all these different things. And so that's what we have to realize too. So within the Christian perspective, again, like Braxton said, this isn't an argument for God's existence to say prayer, um, you know, works all the time. And you know what I mean? That's not the argument for it, but within the Christian purview, the resources there articulate and explain this, you know, just like the, the scripture that people usually quote from John. Um, and I can't remember the chapter right now, um, where it says you ask these things and they'll be given to you, you know? Um, but if you look at the context there and it's very clear, what he's talking about is that it's consistent with God's will. And just like Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, remember, he's like, um, if there's another way, um, you know, um, well, how, how did that scripture go again? Cause I don't want to misquote it. Uh, it just says, not your let will, this cup pass from me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And he says, your will, uh, not my will, but thy will be done, you know? And that's how that's at the heart of the Christian's prayer as well. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. Okay. So now, um, real quick, let's go ahead and, um, 
let's let's go ahead actually because we we said we were going to just quick word about kids with cancer right this is a thing that a lot of atheists use and um i think that this is something that a lot of people you know relate to because it is a horrible thing when when kids get cancer and that sort of thing um this kind of goes into the divine. I mean, there's a lot of different things that can be said about this. That's why I say watch my videos um, that I did on this. Um, but one thing I'll just say is that um, it, this is an appeal to divine mystery to say that I don't know why God lets, lets some things happen, right? There's a lot of reasons I can give why I think we can even see in our daily lives now why God allows some bad things to happen, you know, and because we can see greater goods coming from those bad things. We can see that. So if we can see it even from this limited perspective, imagine if we can see it from an omniscient perspective. Now, this isn't an appeal to divine mystery to say, oh, God works in mysterious ways. That's not what I'm saying, because because what I'm saying is I'm appealing to our limited cognition, you know, our limited ability um, our finite cognition is a better way to say it. And then God has an infinite cognition, you know? So I would say that it's not an argument because of that, right? Um, so you can't say that like this guy whose brain is, it's just like my son, right? My son, um, he, he's really small. And like, I talk about an analogy a lot where it's not an exact parallel in the quality, of course, but my son, when he was little, he'd have to go to Dennis and I couldn't explain to him why I was holding him down, letting the dentist go in his mouth and he's freaking out screaming, right? But the problem is it wasn't because I didn't have good reasons. Uh, it was just the fact that like his brain was so limited that I couldn't explain those reasons to him in this sense. It didn't matter. It didn't mean that I didn't have a bigger plan or perspective for the greater good. So if we can see things like that in this life, it's not far stretched at all to think that something similar could be the case with God, especially when we see through Christianity, we're to expect suffering. It's not, I mean, this might be a, a mystery or something weird on other religions, but on Christianity, we're to expect trials, tribulations, suffering, you know what I mean? All of that in this world, because that's not the point of this world. The point of this world is not for us to just be happy, you see? And so, um, yeah, anyways, I'll be blabbing on. So go ahead, Braxton, quick thought on that. No, then, I, th I, th I think you're uh, absolutely right. Uh, simply put, um, this is another challenge. As he said, it's an attempt to show that there's something contradictory in the nature of God. If God's all loving and all knowing and all powerful, there shouldn't be any evil. But to respond to that, all we have to do to show that this isn't a contradiction is point to any possible reason that such a God would allow suffering. You've pointed to one, there's a greater good that is that God can only actualize if we have these pains and sufferings uh, in the world, and we may not always be in a position to know what those are. It's like the famous example. Uh, well, my famous example for me is my take on another example is my wife tells me about every night, Hey, go in the refrigerator and get me a diet Coke. And I go and I look and I can't find the diet Coke anywhere. I come back and I say, there's no diet Coke. No, there's a diet Coke in the fridge. I know I put it there this afternoon, go back and get the diet Coke. So I go, I look, I can't find it. I'm moving stuff around. I have to stop and take a break and drink some milk. And I look some more. I go and I tell her there's no diet Coke. She says, I'm going to have to go get that Coke. I said, yeah, you go get that Coke. I want to see you go find that Coke. And she comes in, opens the door, reaches in and gets the Diet Coke. It was there all the time. The point is there was something good there, even though I couldn't see it. Well, it's even worse with this. This is like, you know, from God's perspective, there may be some good that comes out of something that happens today that isn't realized for 200 years because of a butterfly effect of, of things that lead towards some big good. And we couldn't expect to be able to see that. And of course, I think all this, you know, for me, not every Christian goes this route and your mileage may vary, but I think the free will thing comes back into this again, John. I think God wanted a people to love. What Jesus says is he, God wants people to love God and love their neighbor as themselves. 
Well, I don't think it's genuine love if it's not freely given. But if you're God, you know, he said God's able to do anything, but contradictions aren't things. If, 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 even if you're God, if you want people to be free, you can't force them to freely always do the right thing. And so everything from natural disasters to disease to all those things go back to the free choice of man in the garden and, and however you understand that story. And then, of course, we commit our own sins and, and actions. Now, what we're not saying here that I think is important is that the kid in the cancer ward or any particular person listening to this show, if something bad is happening to you, some illness or some tragedy or heartache or whatever, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily because of a particular thing you did. It's just that we live in a world where that stuff is going on. And so I think all those things are important to mention. Absolutely, too. And that's the thing, too. Um, this is kind of loosely related. Um, actually, before I do that real quick, um, guys, go ahead and throw in your questions um, and stuff down below. We're going to answer a few questions real quick before we get off. Um, also, a shout out to Rodney Gardner. Thank you for the super chat. Also, the super chat from Christian Fun. Thank you guys so much for the super chat. Appreciate you. All right. So, um, oh, man, did I forget my thought that quick? See, Maybe. I'm getting old, man. I'm getting old. This, this is what happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So um, kind of, um, I think, kind of going off of what you were talking about, too. I noticed when I uh, watched back Cosmic Skeptics um, debate uh, on the problem of evil, oh, it was IP. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can you guys still see me? Looks like my screen cut out for some reason. Um, anyways, yeah, hold on one sec. Sorry. He'll be back. All right. Not sure what's happened to my video. Can you see me, Brax? My video? Nope. Uh, it says John McCray on my screen. Okay. Here we go. Okay. There you Change are. You, but there we go. All right. So um, real quick. So. Um, with that it, assumption that, that he had a lot was that two things both can't be true. He's like, we're supposed to be thanking God for my friend that, you know, uh, if I had a friend that got killed, we're supposed to be thanking God, blah, blah, blah. But that assumes that two things can't be true. You can still be sad about the situation while also knowing that God um, in his infinite wisdom literally um, has a reason um, perhaps that he allowed this thing to happen. So it's not one or the other. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on that, Brox? Well, yeah. I mean, I, one of the things that I, you know, Christians often will say when, it, when a Christian dies, um, say someone's spouse dies and they say, hey, this is a day of celebration for you because this person is now in heaven. So be happy. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm, I'm not happy. Uh, but that doesn't mean I don't think God's in control or that I'm going to see my loved one again one day. When I go out of town and I leave my wife for a week, I'm sad. I'm not sad because I'm never going to see my wife again. I'm sad because I'm not going to see her for a week. If my, let's say my father died today, um, my dad's 75. If my dad died today, I'd be sad. Why? It's not because I'm never going to see him again. It's because I might not see him again for, I don't know, decades maybe. So I'm sad about that. But it, so that I think it's appropriate to be sad and to grieve and to recognize that that doesn't necessarily mean um, that there's any, any problem with, you know, your Christianity or anything. Um, I don't know if you're still there. No, I'm still there. Um, good. So, um, all right, you guys, go ahead and send your questions. Um, yeah, people are saying I'm frozen. Yes, I understand. Not sure what's going on with my camera. Um, but you just look like you're really paying attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, while my camera, I don't know if I can get it back because it just keeps messing up. But, um, okay, let's do some questions. So you guys, send your questions in and we'll get to your questions. 
Um, Braxton, if you see any to hop on to while I'm trying to figure yeah, it out yeah. as well, just go ahead and read it out and we'll, we'll discuss it. Yeah. So, um, while you're doing that, someone says here, some bad things happen. Uh, th that one Christian says some bad things happen that God doesn't necessarily want to happen, but that doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Yeah. That's an interesting question of do things happen that God doesn't want to happen. And this is, uh, um, e even my reform brothers and sisters would, would say that in at least a certain understanding of his will, then, um, he doesn't want the evil things to happen. Right. Of course, even though God ordains everything and all that. And for me, I can just simply say, yeah, there's stuff that happens evils. I don't think God God wants any particular evil thing to happen, but that's a separate question from, can God then redeem that evil thing and bring something beautiful out of it? My brother is, uh, was adopted. Now I've never thought of him as anything other than my brother. You know, I love my brother. My brother was adopted and, um, there were circumstances that had to do with his conception that I don't think God wanted, but you know what? Um, he may not have wanted the, the suffering or the pain or the evil or whatever that had to do with that to happen, but he was still able to take that and redeem it and make something beautiful out of it. My brother's life. And so, um, I don't think God wants the evil, but God can sure, sure use the evil to build our character, to, to, uh, to change the world. Um, and, and God is able to do that. So that'd be how I'd respond to that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing too, is like, um, I don't see necessarily anything wrong too of saying like yeah god doesn't want these bad things to happen but you know it's just a, if it's a consequence of free will bad things can happen you know yeah um and i know some people might feel uncomfortable with that but i mean just kind of thinking it's like bad things happen could happen you know but in the end god will right all the wrongs so um all right um you guys and tag me too um by the way too so that way i can make sure and see your comments so it jumps out to me um, cause I'll only see it if it's highlighted with my name or if it's a super chat is only ones that I'll, um, that will jump to my mind. I mean, jump to my vision right away. Yeah. And I did unplug my video and all that and now it's working again. So we're good. We're good. Um, you look fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That one Christian says, um, how would you respond to somebody who believes God doesn't exist only because they disagree of how he works or how he gives salvation? Yeah. Um, I talked about that in my last video, I think my response to rationality rules, um, where he was saying that Christians were arrogant for believing that, um, or he had a bunch of mis misconceptions about Christianity. But I said at the end, I said, well, if he's going to use that argument about arrogance, and then I correctly defined arrogance. And then I talked about how the atheist would actually be arrogant, given that set of rules, because the atheist thinks that they're you know, it's valid for them to reject God if he doesn't make the, you know, have the universe function in the way that they think is best. Right. So they say, like, I think that the universe should run this way if I were God, because it's not this way. God can't exist. Now, you talk about exaggerating your own self-importance. You know what I mean? <laughs> because that's what it is. Because here's the thing. I mean, I've thought about this, too. I say if Allah exists. Right. I don't necessarily like Allah. Right. When I read about him. But Allah still would exist no matter what I thought about him. He doesn't have to cater to my personal wants and desires. You know what I mean? Um, but thankfully, all that doesn't exist. And then if you look at the evidence comparing Christianity to Islam, then I think it becomes more apparent as well. Um, Brax, do you have any quick uh, No, I, th I think you're just making the, the same point better and in a, in a more funny way. That, that I was making earlier, that it's an attempt by the atheist to do divine psychology, to do psychology on God, to say, I know the mind of the God that I don't believe in so well that I know what he would do if he did exist, but he doesn't exist. And so I, I think you make a really good point. Yeah. The, the question of um, whether or not you like God is a separate question from whether or not God exists. I don't like cancer. 
But as we heard from Dan Barker tonight, cancer still exists, but I don't like it. There's a lot of things that exist that I don't like. Absolutely. Yeah, exa exactly. Likes aren't a way to determine what's true or not. And I think um, our fellow atheists would agree with that. Or not our fellow atheists are. <laughs> not, you know, you know that's what I'm saying. I'm getting tired. Yeah. It's late. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, don't know. What, let's see. So I'm looking at um, for Ellie. What's up? Uh, Patreon, go ahead and send me the message on Patreon and we'll, we'll figure it out from there, by the way. Um, uh, Matthew Winter says, I was wondering about the Kalam, uh, the Kalam argument. Wouldn't time be a necessary factor for God to act in creating or choose to create? How would he be thinking or acting before time? So there's a couple things here. Um, first off, like, um, when it comes to time, are we talking about like physical, you know, phys it depends on kind of your theories too of, um, physics and stuff too. But if you're talking about like a physical time, a time that's necessarily integrated with time, space and matter, you know, where they all kind of go together um, at that point, um, he could be thinking prior to that. I don't think that there's a contradiction there. Um, so if you're using time as a reference to just a change of events, um, then yes, you, th then there would be time prior to creation. But when we're talking about time in the sense that we understand it as it relates to space and matter, um, then I think that that would be that time would have started right there at T zero, you see. And so I don't think that there's necessarily a contradiction there. Um, the philosophy of time and God is a very complex topic. Um, I thought that it wasn't gonna be as complex as it was before I got into it, um, but it's extremely complex. Even um, William Lane Craig's book on it, um, what's it called, Time and Eternity? Time and Eternity, yeah. Yeah, it's a lay book, because um, he has a more complex book on it, but it's a lay book, but it's still, pretty, pretty dense. Um, cause you have to kind of go through physics and stuff like that too, when it comes to the physical time that we're, when I say physical, I'm talking about, um, the time that we experience, you know, but just to put it simply, I don't think that there's a contradiction there. God could have events that are going on uh, mentally. Um, even though I would probably think, you know, divine cognition is one thing that's harder, but I would probably lean towards, um, the, yeah, actually I don't want to get into all that cause that's kind of going down a rabbit hole, but anyways, that's what I would say is that I don't think that there's a problem for that view. All right. Uh, let's see what else we got. Uh, your brother in Christ. What's up? And I'm just reading them because I'm not pre-reading them. I'm just reading them as I see names of tags on them. Uh, what are your thoughts on the apologetics empire discord server? Um, I haven't seen it. Um, I don't think we started it either. Um, yeah, I don't think David Wood or any of us started. I, I, I honestly, I don't really know much about it. <laughs> so sorry. I can't really, um, um, help with that. Yeah. Uh, Brando, what's up? Brando says question. Is it a good idea to have apologetics more in church Sunday teachings, even though the arguments tend to change and evolve over time or would it be more harmful given it can change? Um, I don't know what you're referring to when you say the arguments change over time. Um, if they get more modified perhaps, but like the Kalam has been out for how long Rax? I mean, centuries and centuries and yeah, centuries. centuries yeah a lot of them too like they might take different forms but i think as for like example like the fine-tuning argument um I, as time goes on we learn more and more about it because it, it gets confirmed more and more it's not going the opposite way where you're like oh okay science is going to enlighten you know and take away all fine-tuning it doesn't work that way and these constants and quantities are independent of each other so it gets more and more improbable for it to be overturned but i think that stating that up front you know what i mean um because 
all of us are just going to base things based off of the probability of the evidence that we have now. New evidence comes, then we'll revise, you know what I mean, and rethink stuff. Um, but when you talk about apologetics being used in Sunday service, I don't think stuff like the fine tuning is probably going to be appealing to the majority of church going people. You know, they're going to say, oh, I mean, maybe fine tuning a little bit more, maybe, you know, but when you get into the details, people are kind of just like, I want to know what um, what the Bible says about my life and how to kind of live that, you know, but I think you can integrate, integrate these in, in unique ways. Um, I try to do some of that on my channel, you know, cause it, it is tough sometimes cause a lot of the classical kind of apologetics, um, don't really do much, you know, it's a little too abstract and, uh, doesn't really incorporate the full human, like the emotions and all that, you know, um, but I think that we need more people that are creative and bringing in some of these ways. Uh, my pastor will bring in like historical stuff sometimes when he's talking about, um, you know, um, teaching through the gospels and stuff. He has, um, he also referenced like, um, you know, little things that went on in history and archeology span and stuff like that. They kind of reinforce in your mind that like, yes, this is real and put it back into a place in history too. So it doesn't just stay out there. So um, that's what I'd say to that. Yeah. You have anything to say to that Brax? I mean, I just think uh, you're, you, where you said what you said there at the end, I think was important, which is you can incorporate apologetics into even your preaching and stuff. Now, I, th I think you could have um, a small group where you go more detailed and more robust. But in your preaching, I think you just don't do it the way that we're doing it, you know, sometimes on YouTube where you're laying out premises and an argument and all that. Just throw out little facts, you know. Um, just like I do with my kids, you know, I, when, when my kids were very small, I'd say, look, look at the trees, um, Jolie, that's one of my daughters. Look at the trees, Jolie, isn't it amazing? God made those trees, you know, and, um, and, and when we're looking at the universe, you know, the Milky Way galaxy or something, can you believe that, that there are people there that don't believe that God designed the Milky Way? You know, just say these kind of things and it kind of is giving a design argument, but not with premises and stuff. And on an adult level, you can do that in Sunday service, I think, just by throwing little facts out. They're just little things, you know. Robbie Zacharias was really good at that, you know. That's what he was really good with. So I think it can be done, but I agree with you. It doesn't have to be done the same way you do it in a debate. Absolutely. Um, there's a scripture that said, I mean, a, a comment from debater of everything, presenter of nothing. <laughs> Sounds like an atheist. <laughs> this kid that says, if God is all good, why are there bald people? That's funny. Uh, I was actually trying to remember a verse um, and I can't remember it. And I was trying to remember, I think it's in um, Leviticus. It says something about how the bald man is pure. <laughs> so I was trying, <laughs> trying to see if I could find it. Um, so anyways. Well, you know, there was, just keep in mind that there's a story in the Bible about a man, about Elisha getting made fun of for being bald by some kids and two <laughs> she bears came out and destroyed the kids. So just keep that in mind. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think it's a great blessing by God that I'm bald headed because I don't have to get up and think about my hair in the morning. Are you kidding me? This is the greatest <laughs> thing. And I believe in the kingdom in the new heaven on the new earth, everyone will be bald headed because I think that's a better design. That's right. <laughs> it's, uh, Leviticus 1340 says now, if, if he, now, if a man loses his hair and is bald, he is still clean. That's right. So praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> All right. Take a couple more guys and then um, we'll be getting off of here. So anybody else um, got any questions, go ahead and send them in. Um, let's see. Um, Zam, oh, I can't, I'm not going to butcher your name. Sorry, bro. Um, Zam, I'm going to call you Zam. All right. It's Zom. Zom. I know Zom. It's Zom. Oh, Zom. Okay. You know Zom? Yeah. Dope, dope. Good. Zom says, um, what's the best ontological argument? Um, I mean, 
yeah, most people are probably going to say Planica's new version, right? Is it kind of a newer version. A lot of people are probably going to say that. Um, what do you, what do you think, Brax? I don't know. I always go to Plantinga. I, the ontological argument isn't one of my specialties. And so um, if I think about it, I think of it in terms of Plantinga. I require uh, uh, God, freedom, and evil uh, by Plantinga in one of our courses on the problem of evil. And so I, I love the ontolog his ontological argument. Um, and, and I know Anselm's argument, but that goes way back, you know, so I, I don't, beyond that, I don't, I, I wouldn't know where to recommend. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, by the way, I do think the ontological argument is important and I didn't realize it until later, but a lot of stuff can actually be stemmed from the ontological argument. So, and it raises these really important questions about existence, you know? And so once you kind of get to the nature of existence, then I think that um, God starts making a lot more sense, you know? So that's why I kind of like the argument too. Um, your brother in Christ says, I just, um, just joined your Patreon today. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Thanks, your brother in Christ. Appreciate it. Um, guys, I'm still um, working towards hitting my goal. So the support is really appreciated. And brother in Christ, you'll be there on Friday too. Um, you can't, I mean, if you'll be around, but you're invited, of course, um, to um, have a patron only and supporter only live stream. And this week I'm talking about Hebrews 6 uh, verses 4 through 6. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So we're going to give the different perspectives on that and then say what I think is the best perspective or the most coherent um, or I want to say exegetically faithful um, in, uh, interpretation of that passage. So um, we do that once a month, last Friday of every month. So good. Um, if you can make it, make it. Cool, cool. Um, all right. Let's see. Um, I think we're probably coming to an end unless anybody has one more question we can take. If not, we will wrap up. Um, Braxton, any, any other thoughts that you had about kind of like the overall with the Dan Barker thing or anything, or. I just think, um, you know, I, th you know, the theme of my channel, one of, one of the things about my channel that I want people to know, and I want to say it about this video we've discussed tonight is our channel exists. Trinity radio exists because we love atheists and we love unbelievers of every kind. And so when we respond to what they say, we're responding to ideas and arguments. And those aren't persons. Dan Barker is a person and God loves Dan Barker and we should love Dan Barker. And so um, I don't think there's anything wrong with being snarky occasionally and, and joking around, but I just want everyone to understand if you're a skeptic out there or an atheist or you interact with them, make sure to make that distinction and, uh, and love the person, respect the person. Um, I don't know where it is, but John Calvin famously was saying that whenever you're in the presence of another human being, whoever they are, whether they're a king or a beggar on the street, that is a person who is an, an, an image bearer of God. They are made in God's image. And so there should be an awe and a reverence for any other human being of any color, of any size, of any kind, because that person bears the image of God. And that is really important. And so when we interact with unbelievers, we should keep that in mind and keep in mind that, that God loves them. And so we should love them. And when it comes to Dan Barker, I just don't think these arguments go anywhere. I just think that we get a lot of rhetoric. Um, we get a lot of surface level type stuff. That's not to say he's not able to go deeper. Perhaps he is. But in this video tonight, what we saw is a lot of surface level stuff that when you go one layer deep, it just all falls away. And unfortunately, this is the kind of stuff that gets mimicked a lot on YouTube. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, is I think a lot of um, atheists and stuff that um, 
it's like it's, it's a lot of times it's based off of just rhetoric right and the rhetoric works because it sounds commonsensical and even you know what i mean and those sorts of things too which is why i think a lot of atheists don't go deeper with a lot of the arguments because for them the rhetoric is kind of like the thing where they kind of just kind of stop you know what i mean oh this sounds commonsensical and witty or whatever so that's it you know um, but what i try to do is if i'm going to use rhetoric and stuff like that too to speak their language kind of too i want to make sure i replace i mean replace it with the truth because i think um ultimately um, atheism still false, right? And so because of that, I think that you'll have the truth while you can use the um, rhetoric and stuff like that to kind of neutralize their objections. Uh, this goes in with a comment um, from Simone. Um, so I'm horrible at pronouncing names. Everybody knows that, right? It says, what do you mean question? What steps are helpful to evaluate the validity of any claim and not be distracted by mockery and rhetoric? Yeah, I think honestly what you want to do there is you want to have a decent understanding of logic and how it works because you, then you can start asking yourself, what is the premise here? What's the reason? So what is their conclusion? And what are the reasons they're giving for that conclusion? And then you can evaluate them kind of deductively and say, does this conclusion follow? from what they're saying. And I think that helps to kind of ward off a lot of these emotional red hearings and these distractions because you can actually follow their argument there. And then it's a lot easier to um, pinpoint where exactly their arguments are vulnerable or what's wrong with the argument, that sort of thing too. So I would, if you can get training and logic, it helps a lot um, just to understand the basics. All you need to know is understand the basics of logic. Look for the conclusion, the reasons that they're given in support of the conclusion and see if it follows. Um, and once you kind of get used to doing that more, I think that it will go ahead and um, it will clear up a lot of that confusion. And so, maybe write it down, write down what they're saying. Yes. And take away all the insults and mockery and see what they're actually saying. And then you're able to do that logic thing you're talking about. Absolutely. Yep. All right, guys. Um, yeah, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Yo, Brax, um, right on. Thank you for joining me, man. And so you guys know, again, if you guys are interested in hearing um, responses to a lot of atheist videos and stuff like that, Brax is way faster than me at this because he just goes in, he just will do a video right away. I don't know. How do you get so much done, by the way, bro? Like I'm know, struggling man. to try to keep up all the time. So I was like, I don't know how you get so much done and you're always throwing out this stuff. Anyway, so good for you on that, man. Proud of you. Well, it's been an honor, John, to be on your show. I love you and our family loves you and we watch you every night and uh, we're, we're big fans. And so it's, it's, it's checked off my bucket list now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, oh man, I definitely appreciate having you. And um, so you guys know that are watching actually real quick. I'm actually um, going to be starting to do a live stream every Monday. Um, I haven't announced it yet. I'll do a video uh, maybe every Monday at 8 p.m. Um, but I'm going to have meme Mondays and I'm just going to have casual conversations um, with a lot of interesting and unique thinkers. And we'll talk about you know, God and um, all that kind of stuff. Of course, Christianity, the gospel, theology, we'll talk about all this different stuff. Um, and so I'm going to start doing that here soon. Um, I'm still working on putting it together and then putting together all the lists and the topics and all. But I don't want to do something just bland and boring, you know what I mean? Where it's like, let's interview these people on things that they've interviewed about a ton of times. I don't want it to be such an interview type thing. I want it to be more of a conversation where I can challenge their ideas and then they can push back all that kind of stuff too. So they're kind of just like good conversations. How it would kind of be if we're just normally having a conversation, not, you know, some sort of strict kind of interview format. Um, so anyways, um, if you guys have any ideas for who you'd like to see on there, what kind of topics you want to discuss, go ahead and let me know. And um, I'll probably start that here in a few weeks, um, probably about two weeks, maybe three, because I'll be out of town for a week soon. But yeah, let me, let me know you guys' thoughts on that. And um, Brax, I guess the next time that Dan Barker decides to throw us all of these terrible, terrible objections, what should all these people that are watching, what should they say? What do you mean? All right, good night, guys. <laughs>